Do you know what proof texting is? It's not usually considered a good practice in preaching. It's, it's when the preacher just keeps heaping verse after verse on top of a topic to prove a point. It has another term when you're not in church, and it's called a snow job. Uh, the verses aren't often looked at closely, or maybe not closely enough, verses that might lead you to different conclusions or to balance what is being said. They, those are conveniently left off the list. And the whole idea is just to overwhelm the listener with a barrage of Bible verses, because who can argue with such an onslaught of Bible verses that come their way? It's bad use of the Bible. It's bad use of preaching. It's lopsided. It's simplistic. Lacks balance and nuance. It doesn't respect the listener. And that's called proof texting, that approach. So maybe in reaction to proof texting, I want this sermon to boil down to one verse I'll add a few others, but I don't want a proof text. Matthew 5, 9. There are others, but uh, if this were the only verse on the topic in the Bible, it would suffice. As I said, I'll add a few later, but that's different. Um, I think one of the big reasons that makes me confident to say that is that I I don't think there's any evidence in the Bible that would suggest that there's something that would tone this verse down or moderate it or need us provide for us a, a way of balancing it against another understanding. So Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, it's really kind of simple and clear. Around that verse immediately, no practical application is mentioned, no examples, No illustrations, no parables, no citations from the Old Testament to fortify it, none that are directly connected to that verse. Now, the Sermon on the Mount does go on to give a picture of what a Christian might do in all of their life that might cause them to live up to this peacemaker role, but it never makes direct reference back to it. For instance, a peacemaker might well be the person who turns the other cheek to a person who strikes them on one cheek or walks a second mile with an oppressor who forces them to walk one mile or gives their cloak to the one who asks for their coat or loves their enemy and prays for those who persecute them. But none of those instructions as they're laid out uh, does Jesus tie directly back to that That beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Well, let's put that in its biggest context. Of course, we're in the New Testament, and we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we start in chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, I see it as the great rollout, the grand opening of the picture of what it really means to be a Christian and to follow Christ. It's that part of discipleship that appears in the New Covenant. If you plan on being a follower of Jesus Christ, this is who we are. It's what we should do. I think the church is in desperate need of recovering these teachings in our time. There's no ignoring them and being a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount is who we are, who we are becoming, and what we will be. And any faith that sidelines these teachings, as far as I'm concerned, is some other religion. It's not the Jesus I'm following it's not the life I've asked to come, it's not the life of Christ that I've asked into my own life. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's at once very appealing, uh, but at the same time kind of overwhelming when you look at it. And I can hear a critic say, actually, I've heard critics say, 
Well, that's just wonderful, but what utopian nonsense. Uh, This is dreaming. It's impractical. No one will ever be able to do this. It won't work in the cruel world. And we sense by the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll never live up to this, at least not consistently. And so it's correct, I think, to see the sermon as, yes, the great rollout of Christian discipleship, but stated as a goal, as a plan, as a model, something you move toward over the course of a life and grow into, but recognize that from day one to the last day you take a breath, humility is in order. And so I'm so glad, and have repeated many times, that it's just a wonderful thing that the very first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you don't feel poor in spirit by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you have a much higher self-esteem than I do. Uh, uh, I am indeed poor in spirit. But we're back in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the Son of God. And as I said, I cannot think of a single passage that would serve as a counterweight or balance to this. I can't think of a passage that would cause you to say, I need to even that out or tone it down give it a more restrictive context. Now, of course, people do because just we're human beings and we don't want to make peace. (laughs) It's just in our nature to be that way. But frankly, I'd say if you found a verse that you want to challenge my understanding with, I'd say you're probably yanking it out of context in some way. Uh, And, you know, if, uh, if it's honest, that's fine, but don't use the Bible propagandistically. Blessed are the peacemakers doesn't accept qualifying. It doesn't require toning down. It won't be boxed in. It won't be limited to certain contexts. Setting it aside in in light of other interests or agendas is simply bad Bible reading. Let's dwell on it for a while. Let's dwell on the verse. It starts with that great religious word, blessed, which I've talked about before. And it's like so many other things, it's sort of religious vocabulary. It's not normally said by people, especially outside of of church. And what does it mean? At its core, it means happy. It means approved. When something's blessed, you just say, it turns out right. It's it's what it should be. It's it's full. It's, it's, It's got joy. It's a state of existence that really ultimately goes toward the idea of being right with God. It's done God's way. And if you've had a feeling of being blessed, then I think a strong sense of gratitude usually follows along with it. Like, wow, that's a wonderful thing. Who can I thank for it? And when we have a good will, I might say a Christian will, we want blessings for others. Uh, And if we don't want blessings for others, we look at something, someone, whether we know them or not, whether we just see them in the news or, you know, there's some kind of abstract category and we don't want blessings for them, there is something wrong. There is something seriously wrong with us spiritually. And this ties into our verse because blessed are the peacemakers doesn't mean, of course, that you bless evil or sin, but rather that you want evil and sin replaced with blessing in the lives of others. We want those who are being horrible to find their way back through repentance to a sound mind, uh, to clear thoughts, to a life blessed by God. And if there's any judgment that's to be involved in all that, that's God's right, not ours. Romans 12, 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Blessing should be in our hearts for all human beings. 
There's another interesting dimension of this term blessed or blessing, the whole concept, and that is we bless God. And that's always, as a Christian, always, till I had to think about it, you know, weird. Like, like he's the source. <laughs> How do we bless God, for heaven's sakes? You know, it's a, we're the recipient, not, the, not the, the source of blessing. Yet it's a common prayer in the Old Testament and shows up in the New Testament as well. Blessed be God the Father. Well, I think when we say that in prayer or say that in worship, either to ourselves or out loud in, in, in group worship, it's a statement of adoration. To bless God is our call to say, look, God is beautiful. God is wonderful. God is perfect. God is full of grace. And I say it is so, either to myself or to you, when I say, bless God the Father. And this helps us understand what it means that we're blessed, because for us to be blessed is to be pulled in to this character of God that exists perfectly in Him. What we bless in Him becomes what is blessed in us. You want to live there. You want to live in that zip code of where you know, God is blessing. It's not geography. No, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Another way of understanding this term, since these Beatitudes really rely on this term, blessed are, and blessed are the peacemakers. To understand what blessed is, and you're still pushing it out in your mind, consider the opposite. Cursed. <laughs> cursed. And what is something that's cursed? It's ugly. Wherever it leads, it's not going to turn out right. You have examples in your life. I've had several gardens that I thought were cursed. <laughs> it wasn't going to turn out well. It, it did, nothing went right from the beginning. You know, after the early freeze and the hailstorm, and then some male, malevolent insect got involved, and then some mold and blight, and then, in one case, turtles were eating my tomatoes. You know, I think it's cursed. <laughs> it's, it's not going to go well. It's not right. Think about that. Notice the tense. The Beatitudes say, blessed are, present tense. The blessedness is not stuck in the past like blessed were, nor is it riding on the future. Well, blessed will be eventually, sometime, maybe. It is blessed are. And by being in present tense, blessed are, it kind of covers past and future and present. It is simply the state of existence of things. Blessed are the peacemakers. So who are the peacemakers? This is the only place in Scripture this term appears. Uh, I don't believe that this particular word appears anywhere in the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament in Greek. Uh, it, uh, if you look it up in secular Greek, which I like to do, it, it, it's not there. Uh, it's, it's, it's only used a few times even in, in sort of the secular Greek of the world. So it's kind of a, uh, a unique phrase, peacemaker. But nobody thinks the meaning is obscure, hard to find. It's a compound word in the Greek just as it is in English. It's peace and maker added together. It means the person who tries to bring about peace. Now, of course, sermons on blessed are the peacemaker are going to add lessons. You know, they say, well, well, it isn't true peace if someone is, isn't treated fairly. Well, yeah, of course. If it's not peace, it's not peace. It's not true peace if it's just the absence of conflict. Well, yes, the peacemaking isn't sweeping things under the rugs. And we have all those questions that we have to ask about, what about those times when it doesn't seem possible? 
Peace just doesn't seem likely. What are we supposed to do? But in fact, all those add-on lessons don't restrict the meaning of blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemaker is striving for peace all the time in everything they do. It is their goal. Romans 12, 18, we've already quoted verse 14 says, uh, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live in peace, live peaceably with all men. You could consider a, a verse in Hebrews 12, 14, which even has an ominous quality in some ways because it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You don't get to cut that part of it out and feel like you can be in the presence of God and see what he's doing. Well, what becomes of peacemakers being blessed and all? What leads to their blessed state? And the verse says, they shall be called the sons of God, or as a modern translation would, would rightfully correct, not correct it, but, but expand it, children of God. That's what it meant. Matthew Henry, you've heard me quote him before. He's a great uh, uh, 18th and 19th century Bible commentator that you can barely read because of his flowery language, but it's wonderful stuff. And his, his, uh, his commentaries are free online, even though I've got a nice bound set of them. Uh, he was approved, if you, if you know, like Matthew who? Uh, he's approved by other giants across denominational lines. John Wesley liked him. John Wesley of Anglican and Methodist fame. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, you know, the, the Pope Saint of, of Baptists everywhere. He, he spoke fondly of, of Matthew Henry's commentaries on the scripture. He so wonderfully expressed this peacemaker role. I have a quotation here. It's a little bit flowery, but we'll, we'll wade through it and I'll... Uh, elucidate on any obscure elements to it, I think. He starts, They shall be called the children of God. It will be an evidence to themselves that they are so. God will own them as such, and herein they will resemble him. He is the God of peace. The Son of God is the Prince of Peace. The Spirit of Adoption is the Spirit of Peace. Since God has declared himself reconcilable to us all, he will not own those for children who are implacable in their enmity to one another. That's a sentence. Takes a moment to digest, of course, in, in modern English. He's not going to own a person as a son of God who won't, refuses. Uh, to give up their, their sense of being an enemy to someone else, their enmity, their hostility towards it. Uh, he just won't, won't own them. Um, why? Because he's made himself reconcilable. That's what we're supposed to do, make ourse ourselves reconcilable to others because he's made himself reconcilable to us. Now, now he goes on. For if the peacemakers are blessed, woe to the peacebreakers now, by this it appears that Christ never intended to have his religion propagated by fire and sword or penal laws or to acknowledge bigotry or intemperate zeal as the mark of his disciples. The children of this world love to fish in troubled waters, but the children of God are the peacemakers, the quiet in the land. I'm going to be blunt. Uh, I, I think the church, and I'm not like looking at you, but the church broadly in the world right now, the evangelical church, 
is full of bigotry, intemperate zeal. And these are not marks of Jesus' disciples. Well, that's Matthew Henry from 300 years ago commenting on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. And as I said, in the immediate context of the sermon, there's not uh, of the verse, there are no parables, examples, applications. But I also say with Matthew Henry, you'll note there are no exceptions. God is willing to be reconciled with us, and he won't own for children those who won't reconcile with other human beings. And I don't see any correction, balancing viewpoint anywhere in the scriptures without ripping something out of context. You get it. I mean, I, you know, I preach this kind of stuff, and you know, people say, yeah, well, Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, wise guy. What about that? You know, uh, you know Jesus uh, you know, said he came to bring a sword. But th these things don't provide any justification whatsoever for us to kind of cultivate anything other than a peacemaker's attitude. In those cases, for example, Jesus is the judge. His judgment is perfect and merciful, and praise God, he's loving and forgiving. But were you to do the same, it would be tainted in all its dimensions with your sinfulness. There is no passage supporting the idea of emulating any of those things in a Christian's life. Yet the Bible is full of exhortations that I can't use without proof texting uh, that exhort you to make peace. We've seen two so far, two in, or three actually, well, two in Romans and one in Hebrews. If you just work with the word, you will see it uh, in many passages. But if you add those that move toward the idea of the Christian living this kind of life, uh, you'll see that the, the, the expressions of forgiving others, practicing humility, showing love, showing compassion, uh, that, that you'll see that this role just dominates the Christian's life. First Peter chapter 3, verse 11, he's quoting Psalm 34. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Do you remember what we said about blessing? Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, let him turn away from evil and do good. And then our line, let him seek peace and pursue it. You can be challenged on this, of course. But the Bible is not naive about our violent world. It doesn't ever hesitate to describe a wicked world in which people do vile things to one another. And the Bible doesn't promise immunity to God's people. There is nothing I see that is unrealistic in the scriptures. It knows there are fiends. It knows there are abusers. It knows there are thieves and murderers. It knows there are bad and evil players. And it knows that there are immediately dangerous situations that people face. But nothing in scripture ever softens that picture. So it won't always be easy to know what a peacemaker might need or might need to do. Clearly, there are victims and perpetrators. Clearly, there is some role for the use of force. But it's a great challenge of the Christian life to know that at the end of everything we do, we must be peacemakers, that we must be the ones who love hateable people, 
because in fact, that's what God is doing in each of our cases. A horrible person stands downstream from you uh, uh, for the horrible things they do, the terrible things they do, but you as a sinful human being, no matter how wholesome and wonderful you might be, stand downstream in the relationship to God's goodness. So if we're making comparisons, we have to realize that we're way downstream from perfection too. Compared to God's perfect holiness and love, we're horrible as well. Well, this peacemaking doesn't happen, I don't think, for our Christian lives unless we cultivate it. In other words, if you sit still and assume this sort of automatically arises out of you because you're a good Christian soul, good luck with that. I don't think it'll happen. Do you realize people prepare for violent encounters all the time, as if there were a villain behind every bush? They, they, they spend money, they spend their resources, they train, they wallow, uh, you know, uh, they, they, in a sense, build a worldview from TV and movies that, that it's all about anything other than loving a hateable person and living and trying to make peace. But you have to ask, well, where's the preparation for that? What would you do to prepare to be a peacemaker? You could put it in your budget, and I'll tell you, it's far cheaper. It's far cheaper than anything else you'll spend your money on. Because I think you can get there by committing yourself to the task through prayer, through correcting yourself. I am not a peaceful person by nature. I'm just not that way. I am not wired that way. I, 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 um, some violence is easy for me to abhor, as long as it's someone else's, but there are other times in my mind where I'm quite capable of murder. Mass murder. <laughs> just get mad. <laughs> Wipe them all out. Let God sort it out. You, you know the, the lines. That's in me. Maybe it's not in you, but I doubt it. It's probably in you as well, but, but maybe I'll, I'll concede I'm probably worse this way. But the Bible has simple instructions for me. You can't be that and be a follower of Christ. Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. James 3, 18 says the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you want good outcomes, if you're concerned about outcomes, then you won't get them unless you sow in peace. That's the seed that, that, that grows righteous plants. Wrath of human beings doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. The Bible's very clear about that. Well, I, I, you know, when I was looking at this and I was thinking of exceptions, I, I was, for some reason, you know these um, like drug ad, pharmaceutical ads that are on TV where they, they, they start talking about a drug that's usually, I, I've never heard of, it's got a fancy name. And uh, all the glorious things it'll do for you, you know, whoever, whatever they had, they're now bouncing around in a field and dancing with their children. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all glorious. And uh, they're selling that drug. And then at the end, somebody comes on, motor, motor mouths all this stuff, you know, that, you know, like, you know, it could kill you. <laughs> or something like that. And all I could get was a playback on this verse like that. So it would say something like, uh, 
Blessed are the peacemakers, except under the following circumstances. I disagree with you politically. I am threatened. I serve a higher cause. You are the scum of the earth. Peacemaking is fine, but this is some idiot on Facebook that needs straightened out. Yes, but this is an election year, and the whole world depends on it, and the sky is falling. If you or anyone you know experiences any of these symptoms, please consult your Heavenly Father. We live in a world of angry and unsettled people right now. Almost every day you can find a story in the news of some unhinged individual acting weird and probably being dangerous. And listen, they come from all points of the social, political, and economic dial. So you think it's, 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 the, you know, it's the, the Democrats or the Republicans. I mean, forget it. It's coming out of the woodwork everywhere. Because uncertain times destabilize some people psychologically. <laughs> it's just the nature of things. And a lot of people don't like uncertainty, and it works on them. And for a certain person who kind of is on the edge anyway, it pushes them off the edge. And uh, Well, uh, I mean, you, can, you can say it has a political foundation, but I, I don't believe that. But who is going to be the peacemaker? It ought to be you the follower of Jesus Christ, who finds a way to look towards reconciliation, to restoration, who attempts to diffuse conflicts, who has a goal of trying to bring sides together. If the Christian voice is just another violent, angry voice ready to take up the fight, taking sides about matters which are ultimately based on human opinion, often based in half-truths for that reason, then we are not being servants of Christ. It's not a random thought when Jesus, right after those dramatic blessed statements in you know, 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall, become the son, they shall be called the sons of God, that Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Who are we as Christians? What are we supposed to be? Well, in very quick conclusion for Christians present, I think in the next couple of months, maybe after, if you are a follower of Christ, you will have multiple opportunities to be a peacemaker. Are you getting ready? Are you preparing? Are you praying? Are you practicing pulling back your own anger and violent nature? Are you allowing your faith and your reading of the Bible to bring back into reality exaggerated and distorted views of a scary world and bring them down to reasonable proportions? Let others do the screaming. Let them threaten. Let them despair. Let them lose their sense of perspective and proportion. You know Christ. You have his word. You were born to be a Christian here and now and you are meant to be a peacemaker here and now. This is our job. We don't have any vacation days. We've got no sick leave. We're on call 24 hours, seven days a week, and it's a great job. <laughs>